Welcome to Sound Prints Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Sound Prints is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushevel. I'm your host for this week's magazine. Welcome to Sound Prints for the week of October 22, 2023. On October 12, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind partnered with the Office of Vocational Rehabilitation and others to present White Cane Day activities at the McDowell Center in Louisville. Helga Gilbert, the Division Director of Blind Services with OVR, took the opportunity to describe some new art at the McDowell Center created by Patrice Issing from the OVR staff to Adam Rushevel. Let's find out more about it now. Okay, I'm recording now. I'll start over again with who who did this. And yes, so Patrice Issing is our um, recreational therapist here at the McDowell Center, and she created this piece, and she used, first of all, um, it's very, it's colorful, and it's in a frame. Along the top are mm-hmm. colorful, uh, a colorful wooden border, and down the sides are beads. It's all very tactile. Mm-hmm. Um, and then down at the bottom, the same borders at the top. Then inside, she took the letters that were on the sign out front for years, since they built the building. It said Charles McDowell um, Center for the Blind. And she took some of those letters, and um, she, she looked at them and looked at them and thought, what else can I spell out of those letters? And so along the top of the art piece, it says, find a new pathway. Mm-hmm. She and then around on the bottom it says outside the lines. Then um, below and above each of these letters is a white cane, <laughs> and then in the center are five framed pieces done by students of the McDowell Center. And each box has found objects that and um, the students created you know their own piece and what was meaningful to them and then what I really love is the student's name is below each of their pieces so here's one and it's it's painted overall like after it was created it was Patrice spray painted each one this one is kind of gold and there's a cross in the center there's a pair of eyeglasses there's um, a representation of sand and footsteps through the sand with little shoes and It's, uh, then it has a little thing underneath about written by the student. And mm-hmm. she titled her work, Walk by Faith, Not by Sight. Mm-hmm. And it says, I had to put my faith in God when I lost my eyesight because I could not have gone on this journey by myself. So that's Kim's, Kim's piece. Mm-hmm. And then next to it, uh, kind of staggered down, is another piece. And it has a tree and birds and animals and just a lot of little things in it. It's spray painted kind of a bluish color bluish green and this was done by Elizabeth Bones and she writes the title of it is creation is so amazing and she writes I love and enjoy life outside if I could live outside without a roof that would be wonderful and perfect I wanted to make a tree and I love birds even if I can't see the birds I can hear them it's got to be something spiritual for people who are blind with nature it's like you see it through God's eyes and then next to that this one is anonymous mm-hmm. it's painted red and it's much more simple and there's a um, a wire heart in it and a couple other objects and it's this one's title is who am I without him this piece is an homage to my recently lost partner 
I was his caretaker for eight months. I was amazed that this piece came together and had such deep personal meaning because I didn't feel very creative to start. I included a decorative wheel in the center because he was a Buddhist. The lid on the top left is an unending circle. The tiny piece on the bottom left is a mini dulcimer because my partner was a solo dulcimer player. The right piece represents an elephant, which is either the wisest or the smartest animal, and finally the bottom is a heart for our love. And then there are two more pieces. This one is um, bluish, and if you want to feel, it's it's got two boats in it. I'll take this one. And so this one was done by a student named David DePecky, and the title is Sailing to and from the Unknown. And he says, I don't know what caused my vision issues and different things, but now that I found this place, I'm sailing to something. And then the final piece, um, so his is a blue. This one is a greenish yellow. And um, it's by Patricia Fletcher, and it's titled, I Wanted to Fly and See the Ocean. And she writes... I would never have thought of doing something like this project. I like how neat and organized it is because nothing in my life is organized right now. And so that is one of our wonderful uh, pieces of artwork that students have created. And we want to fill the walls here with student-created art and tactile art. Very good. Yeah. The Kentucky Council of the Blind is holding its 50th annual convention this year. And we invite everyone to help us celebrate by attending our Golden Jubilee Auction on Saturday, November 4, from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time, 6 to 9 Central, 4 to 7 Pacific, and 1 to 4 Hawaiian on Zoom. We have an incredible lineup of fantastic items just waiting for your bid. Proceeds will benefit the Kentucky Council of the Blind and its nine chapters. Some of the fantastic items up for bid include a beautiful music box, an Echo Dot fourth generation, a hand-knitted Afghan throw, and a vintage handmade quilt. There's jewelry, skincare products from Mary Kay, bags and purses, and a roomy computer bag. No auction is complete without food. We've got Kentucky Derby pie and a family party pack of vintage candy and buttery movie popcorn. Starbucks coffee, Patty Cox's brownies and oatmeal scotchies, Patty Slobby's cookies, an amazing package of goodies from world-famous Moonlight Barbecue in Owensboro, Kentucky. There's more items yet to come. We'll post the complete list in auction order on Thursday, November 2. You need to register in order to bid in the auction. Bid on Zoom from your phone or computer. Registration is free. Just call the Kentucky Council of the Blind Office at 502-895-4598 and give us your contact information. On Friday, November 3, the Zoom link at dial-in information will be emailed to everyone who registers. Thanks in advance for supporting our Golden Jubilee Auction. The South Central Kentucky Council of the Blind holds its social hour on its Zoom line each Wednesday afternoon from 2 to 3 p.m. Central Time. Everyone can attend, whether you live in the Bowling Green area or not. Just call the Zoom number at 
9006833 and enter the code 7636894411. KCB Next Generation will be talking about the benefits and drawbacks of integrating AI into our daily routine at its Thursday night huddle on Thursday, October 26th on Zoom. Join them to talk about the personal uses of AI, including the new Bing, Chat GPT, Be My Eyes AI, and so on. Bring your questions and ideas to the table. Join the call by dialing 669-900-6833 and entering the code 836-9560-6352. There's a change happening in the roundabouts on the fourth Friday of the month. Page Turners will be the first hour. We'll be talking about good books and uh, those books that you don't like and would never read again. The second hour will be a look at technology, including apps, skills, computers for work and play, and so on. Be sure to come to the October 27 roundabout for both Page Turners, sponsored by the Tri-State Library users, and Tech Talk. Roundabout is brought to you by the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind. The time for the October 27 roundabout on Zoom is 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. The Zoom number is 669-900-6833 and the code is 862-9889-6972. The Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision and the Tri-State Library users will be holding their annual meetings and elections. KCCLV's meeting will be on November 1 at 8 p.m. and Tri-State's meeting will be on November 4 at 11 a.m. Both are on Zoom and we ask that the members of each chapter join by using the one tap or by dialing the Zoom number. The number is 669-900-6833. Enter the code 862-9889-6972. For more information on these last two announcements, please contact the KCB office at 502-895-4598. The National Library Service publishes news magazine each quarter to bring information about events and happenings within the library program. On page 2, you'll find articles from the July edition of News. Programs from several libraries across the country are highlighted. We think you'll find them interesting as they demonstrate the scope of the program in different states. On page three are three articles from the internet. The first concerns a new website from APH called the Braille Brain. The second invites interested individuals to participate in research being conducted by the American Foundation for the Blind concerning accessibility of apps and websites. The third is about the importance of audio description and how it helps blind people enjoy TV. Listen to sound prints in many different ways. We are heard 12 times each week on ACB Media One. Listen there by using the ACB Link app on your phone or on your Alexa device by asking her to 
open ACB Media and then choosing the number one when prompted. You can also listen on your Victor Reader Stream by searching for Soundprints in the Victor Stream database. Find Soundprints in the list of podcasts in the ACB Link app or listen anytime 24 hours a day on the information line by calling 773-572-6318. Be sure to check the opening menu for available shows. We have begun posting some shows from the recent past in addition to the most recent program. For more information about Soundprints, call the KCB office at 502-895-4598. Page 2. These articles are from News Magazine, published July-September 2023, Volume 55, Number 3. This is a small publication from the National Library Service for the Blind and Print Disabled. We're bringing you these articles, although some of them do not relate to Kentucky, because it will give you insight into things that are available at other NLS libraries around the country. NLS honors cooperating libraries in New Jersey and Michigan by Mark Lehman. The National Library Service for the Blind and Print Disabled, NLS, at the Library of Congress has recognized two of its cooperating libraries in New Jersey and Michigan for their outstanding service to readers with visual, physical, and print disabilities. The New Jersey State Library, Talking Book and Braille Center in Trenton, New Jersey, received NLS's 2023 Regional Library of the Year Award, while the Library for the Visually and Physically Disabled branch of Muskegon Area District Library in Muskegon, Michigan, received the Subregional Library slash Advisory and Outreach Center of the Year Award. They are among nearly 100 libraries in NLS's nationwide network. The libraries were honored on September 7 at a luncheon in the Library of Congress's historic Thomas Jefferson Building, the first time since 2019 that NLS was able to present the Library of the Year awards in person. Each also received a $1,000 award and a commemorative plaque. Quote, one of these libraries is large, the other is much smaller, said Librarian of Congress, Dr. Carla Hayden, who attended the luncheon. Quote, but they have much in common, energy and creativity, and a 24-7 commitment to ensuring that disability stops no one from experiencing the lifelong joy of reading. That's why they share the spotlight today as outstanding examples of the service that NLS and its network of libraries provide to hundreds of thousands of people from coast to coast. End of quote. The Talking Book and Braille Center, TBBC, under the direction of Deputy State Librarian Adam Shapaniak, S-Z-C-Z-E-P-A-N-I-A-K, serves nearly 14,000 patrons throughout the state of New Jersey. In addition to loaning materials in audio and braille, TBBC has a collection of large print books for children and teens, 
TBBC manages NFB Newsline, the National Federation of the Blind's audio news service for more than 3,300 subscribers in New Jersey. It also manages the State Commission for the Blind and Visually Impaired's Technology Loan Program and Library Equal Access Program, providing accessible technology, support, and training to residents statewide who have print disabilities, and it provides reading materials to a summer camp for blind children. Among TBBC's 21 staff members is a youth services librarian who works with young patrons and their parents, guardians, teachers, and schools. It also has a Hispanic outreach coordinator who provides services and outreach to the state's Spanish-speaking population. Staff members frequently make presentations to statewide conferences and organizations that represent librarians and people with disabilities. TBBC hosts a monthly virtual book discussion group and a biennial fall festival at the Grounds for Sculpture in Hamilton Township, New Jersey, which gives its patrons the opportunity to have the tactile interaction with the arts. And for the past 12 years, it has hosted a fundraising golf tournament with as many as 55 blind and sighted participants. The Library for the Visually and Physically Disabled Branch of the Muskegon Area District Library, MADL, with one full-time librarian and a part-time reader advisor, serves more than 940 patrons in Michigan's Muskegon and Ottawa counties. Among the MADL's initiatives are a senior book bin service in which it delivers large print books to senior organizations each month, and Phone a Story, a dial-in service that has new recordings of poems, short stories, and children's stories each week. The library also has an array of accessible technology on site for patrons to use, including closed-circuit televisions that magnify images, an optical character reader, refreshable braille display, and a device that projects games onto an interactive surface. Lead librarian Sachs Mahoney gave a presentation last year to the Muskegon Area Intermediate School District to raise awareness among teachers and counselors that they now can certify the eligibility of students with reading disabilities. Mahoney also spoke at a Veterans Resources event and maintains relationships with public libraries, nursing homes, and senior citizens in the two counties the library serves. During the luncheon, NLS Director Jason Broughton highlighted the essential role that NLS network libraries play in the program. Quote, Today we celebrate not only our two winning libraries, but the NLS network of cooperating libraries itself, he said. The network has grown from 18 libraries in 1931, two of them in Michigan, as a matter of fact, to nearly 100 strong today. And for the past 92 years, these network libraries have been the backbone of our service. End of quote. NLS launched the Network Library Award in 2004. 
A committee of librarians and consumer organization representatives recommends finalists from nominating libraries to the NLS director based on mission support, creativity, and innovation in providing service and demonstrated reader satisfaction. The captions for this article say, NLS Director Jason Broughton and Librarian of Congress Dr. Carla Hayden with Elizabeth Burns, Associate Director, NJ State Library Talking Book and Braille Center, TBBC, and Adam Shapaniak, Deputy State Librarian and TBBC Director. The U.S. Capitol Police Ceremonial Unit presented the colors and Intelligence Research Specialist Irina Stoykova, S-T-O-Y-K-O-V-A, sang the national anthem to open the luncheon. While they were in Washington, MADL Sax Mahoney and Ron Suzek, S-U-S-Z-E-K, visited with Michigan Senator Gary Peters in his office. They also met with Michigan Senator Debbie Stabenow, S-T-A-B-E-N-O-W, in the Capitol. The next article is Fighting the War on Image Poverty by Claire Rajstaxer, R-O-J-S-T-A-C-Z-E-R. Chance Fleet can't remember when she started receiving books from NLS as a child, but she does know the first time she visited the Andrew High School Braille and Talking Book Library in New York City, where she now works. Quote, I was 10 years old, and I was blown away by the ability to just walk around and browse the Braille stacks, she says, an experience not offered by the NLS Network Library in Virginia, where she received service. Quote, Somehow, the librarians even worked out a way for me to check out a book and return it after I went home to Virginia. End of quote. That moment of wonder of meaningful access to something previously kept hidden is something Fleet strives to create for her own patrons as assistive technology coordinator at the Andrew High School Library. High School is spelled H-E-I-S-K-E-L-L. Fleet also began volunteering for the Andrew High School Library while an adaptive technology instructor at the Jewish Guild for the Blind, launching a weekend adaptive technology clinic in 2010. Quote, We were told the library was underutilized, that young people weren't coming to the library, she says. I wanted to change that. At first, Fleet recalls, it was just her and her friends hanging out together, but patrons began to trickle in with questions about their iPhones, about using Skype and Facebook, and about the free NVDA screen reader. BARD, the NLS Braille and Audio Reading Download Service, was also a frequent source of patron help requests. By 2014, demand had built enough that the Andrew High School Library was able to create a new position and hire Fleet full-time. Quote, Now we have 
three full-time tech experts supported by over a dozen dedicated volunteers, she says. As the assistive technology program at the Andrew High School Library expands, Fleet keeps exploring new services to bring to patrons. Since 2016, one of her areas of focus has been tactile graphics. Quote, a patron who had just moved to the area called and asked for a map of the five boroughs, and I realized I couldn't just create one, Fleet says. She wrote up a proposal for a way to solve that and was awarded the New York Public Library's 2017 Innovation Grant. That brought the Andrew High School Library $12,000 to purchase equipment, including a 3D printer and a graphics embosser, and trained staff. Within a year from the initial idea, the Dimensions Lab was ready to launch. As with the Adaptive Technology Clinic, it took a while for the Dimensions Lab to draw patrons. Quote, At first, almost nobody came, Fleet admits. I would go up to patrons and tell them, You can make anything. And they would say, What am I going to make? I had to take a step back and realize that when we've been denied access to images, we don't know what we want or how to begin. That lack of access creates what Fleet calls image poverty, a term she coined about five years ago. Quote, I sometimes get pushback about the term, she says. I've been told that's too dire. But a whole lot of us are missing out on this immense swath of information. It starts when we're kids, when we're given alternate activities while the rest of the class learns to draw. It is dire. But every patron has an image that will be a catalyst or a gateway to understand the appeal of tactile graphics, Fleet says. And once they find that image, the unexpectedness and richness of the ideas people bring to the lab is a challenge and a privilege. End of quote. The Dimensions Lab now regularly hosts large group events, as well as drawing in a steady stream of individuals who want assistance, making everything from maps to holiday cards to tactile finger and footprints for a forensics class. This summer, it hosted a group from Cooper Hewitt, the Smithsonian Design Museum, who were making tactile symbols for a new exhibit. And Fleet is proud to have helped a recent Juilliard graduate receive a diploma not only written in Braille, but adorned with a tactile version of the school's seal. Regular workshops on embroidery, accessible drawing, and origami, the last taught by Fleet herself, are also popular offerings. Going forward, she's excited by the development of refreshable displays designed for displaying tactile graphics, not just single lines of text. One currently on the market sells for around $15,000. We've got a ways to go, Fleet says, but it's reasonable to think that within 10 years this kind of display will be as available as refreshable Braille displays were 
before the NLS Braille e-reader. Still expensive, not as accessible as I'd like, but there. End of quote. The NLS Braille e-reader, which is loaned to patrons free of charge, is finally making electronic Braille text accessible to all, and Fleet is enthusiastic. Quote, this could be the year we move the needle on Braille literacy, she says. The economic disincentive goes away with a wide release of the e-reader. End of quote. She hopes that with accessible technology at their fingertips and with the introduction of more tactile maps and graphics from NLS, such as the recently released Game of Thrones map, more patrons can be convinced that they can be Braille and audio readers. Braille, she says, is beautiful. Chancy Fleet, age 41, education, B.A. in Sociology and Psychology, College of William and Mary, M.A. in Disability Studies, C.U.N.Y. Current position, Assistive Technology Coordinator, Andrew High School Braille and Talking Book Library. Quote, Coming from a more traditional blindness organization allowed me to be excited about the innovation and openness of working in libraries, where we're truly here to serve the individual. At the library, every goal is valid, even goals outside of work and educational life. Photo, Fleet at the 2018 National Conference of Librarians Serving Blind and Print Disabled Individuals in Nashville. Quote, In the next 10 years, We'll see AI capable of rendering visual graphics into tactile graphics, replacing text with Braille abbreviations, assigning colors to textures, removing background clutter, improving contrast, scaling up. As many misgivings as I have about AI and other domains, I'm excited about the tactile graphics potential. We will always need talented tactile designers, but AI can help speed up routine work. Chancy Fleet. Library of Congress celebrates 10th anniversary of the Marrakesh Treaty. The final negotiations on the Marrakesh Treaty to facilitate access to published works for persons who are blind visually impaired or otherwise print disabled, lasted a week in the summer heat of Morocco. Quote, it was challenging, the Institute of Museum and Library Services, Nancy Weiss, who was part of the U.S. delegation in Marrakesh, in Marrakesh, said during a September event at the Library of Congress to mark the treaty's 10th anniversary. Quote, but that's the case in almost every diplomatic conference. End of quote. The Morocco government official who presided over the conference threatened to close the country's airports until an agreement was reached. And when the last of the sticking points was resolved and the treaty was adopted on June 27, 2013, Stevie Wonder led the celebration with a musical performance. The treaty aims to reduce the worldwide famine of accessible books, especially 
in developing countries. It creates limits and exceptions to traditional copyright law that make it easier for organizations such as NLS to exchange audio and braille books across international borders. Since 2020, when the treaty was fully implemented in the United States, NLS has added more than 5,700 works in more than 25 languages, including English, from treaty members. NLS patrons have downloaded those books more than 113,000 times. NLS has also uploaded more than 197,000 items to the Accessible Books Consortium Global Book Service, making them digitally available to other Marrakesh Treaty members. This summer, Ukraine became the latest party, the 119th, to join the treaty. The caption is, NLS Director Jason Broughton joins Nancy Weiss, a member of the U.S. delegation to the 2013 conference in Marrakesh, Morocco, and Shira Perlmutter, director of the U.S. Copyright Office, who also participated in the negotiations to discuss the Marrakesh Treaty and its impact. NLS Notes NLS closed out its FY23 exhibit program with three veteran events in August, the National Conferences of the Disabled American Veterans, the Blinded Veterans Association, and the American Legion. NLS, has, NLS had booths at 18 national conferences this year, a return to a full schedule of in-person outreach after the pandemic forced the exhibit program to go virtual in 2020, 2021, and all but a handful of events in 2022. The schedule included first-time appearances at the annual conferences of the National Rural Health Association and the American School Counselor Association. NLS also had tables at the National Book Festival and several other events hosted by the Library of Congress. NLS began its Braille on Demand program in which patrons can request hard copy Braille books for their own use to keep indefinitely in June of 2022. Since then, NLS has fulfilled some 5,400 requests for Braille books. These were the most frequently requested titles in the program's first year. The ABCs of UEB, a guide for the transition from English Braille and American edition. E B A E to the Rules of Unified English Braille UEB by Constant Resort. Key to Grade 3 Braille by Lewis W. Rodenberg. Cooking Without Looking Food Preparation Methods and Techniques for Visually Handicapped Homemakers by Esther Knudsen Tips. Fix It and Forget It Cookbook Feasting with Your Slow Cooker by Don J. Rank and Phyllis Pellman A Treasury of Knitting Patterns by Barbara J. Walker Loom Knitting Primer by Isella Phelps 
The Fellowship of the Ring by J.R.R. Tolkien Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone by J.K. Rowling Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets by J.K. Rowling Nothing Fits a Dinosaur by Jonathan Fentz Sudoku Easy to Hard Volume 2 Presented by Will Shorts Library of Congress was recently granted federally registered trademarks for the phrase that all may read, the names BARD and BARD Mobile and the BARD logo. NLS has used that all may read on brochures, posters, and other materials since at least 1967. It's also the title of a comprehensive history of NLS published by the Library of Congress 40 years ago. NLS began publicly using BARD, the acronym for the Braille and Audio Reading Download Service, in 2008. Registration of the trademarks benefits both NLS and its nationwide network of cooperating libraries and will help avoid public confusion over who we are and the services we provide, said Communications and Outreach Section Head. Kristen Fernix. Page 3. From the Internet. Introducing Braille Brain. The American Printing House published this announcement on Wednesday, October 18. We are excited to announce the release of Braille Brain. This is a free website-based self-paced curriculum to help people who already have literacy skills learn Braille. Braille Brain can be especially useful for parents, paraeducators, students in university-level TVI programs, people who lose sight later in life, and others who want to improve their Braille skills. The curriculum is based on Ashcroft's Programmed Instruction, UEB, and starts with basics of Braille, going through uncontracted and contracted UEB Braille. No account is needed to access this curriculum, making it quick and easy to use. Braille Brain is the result of a collaboration between APH and California State University. The lead curriculum writer is Kim Blackwell, who has over 25 years of experience in the vision field including as a content writer for the iBraille Challenge. The lead researchers are Dr. Cheryl Kamai Hanan, professor at California State University, Los Angeles, and Gina Mitchell, a TVI and a faculty lecturer at California State University, Los Angeles. For more information about the experts involved, with the development of Braille Brain, including all the additional content authors, please visit the About page on Braille Brain. Braille Brain currently has 21 units. These units include Braille numbers and letters, two-cell punctuation and short-form words, and Braille-specific symbols and formatting. The lessons include repeatable practice 
to help build your Braille knowledge. Writing is done via six-key input on a QWERTY keyboard or on a Braille display and is reinforced with writing workout practice. The writing practices tell you how many words per minute you wrote to help you keep track of your speed progress. Braille Brain will continue to grow over time. Future updates will include Nimeth Braille and more advanced UEB content. To start your lesson adventure, head over to the Braille Brain website, https colon slash slash www.aph.org slash introducing dash braille dash brain. And remember, braille is spelled B-R-A-I-L-L-E. Next is an announcement from the American Foundation for the Blind. Research study on website and app accessibility. Participants needed. Researchers at the American Foundation for the Blind, AFB, are conducting a study to document the accessibility challenges that blind, low vision, and deafblind people experience while using websites and mobile apps in daily life. AFB is looking for participants to fill out a series of daily diaries showing your experiences with websites and mobile apps in real time. To qualify for this study, you must be, to receive the study link, Please email Ariel Silverman, AFB Director of Research, at A-S-I-L-V-E-R-M-A-N at AFB.org. Watching TV while blind. Making television accessible to people with visual impairments requires technical and regulatory advances and collaboration to ensure the visual media remains open to all by Brian Vines, published October 19, 2023. In 1985, there was not a seven-year-old on the planet with a better working knowledge of the goings-on in Genoa City, the fictional setting of The Young and the Restless, than me. The daytime drama was my grandmother's favorite. It was my job to watch with her and provide visual commentary because my grandmother was blind. When the words weren't enough, I helped her set the scene in her mind by answering her questions. Were his eyes opened when they kissed? She wanted to know. Can anyone in the courtroom tell she's lying? We played this game of TV show and tell whenever the set was on. Back then, no one thought much about how to make TV accessible to visually impaired people or really even considered that it might be an important thing to do. Today, the landscape is vastly different. Newer TVs have settings and features designed to help people with limited vision enjoy the boob tube like the rest of us. Still, 
Disability advocates say these assistive technologies leave room for improvement and that laws surrounding their implementation are not keeping pace. At the same time, they say, the need to make devices even better and easier to use by the visually disabled is more pressing than ever. More on TVs and assisted technology. For starters, public health officials say the number of Americans with uncorrectable vision impairments are expected to double by 2050 due to chronic diseases like diabetes and the rapidly aging population. Today, 4 million Americans over 40 have a vision impairment. Of those, 1 million are blind and 3 million have uncontrollable central or peripheral vision loss. Also, a major issue, how screen-centered our world has become. We live in a visual society, says Clark Rackville, Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs at the American Council of the Blind, an organization made up of blind and visually impaired people. Quote, if you want to be part of your community, if you want to be part of the conversation, you have to have access to the visual media everyone else is using. We've got to get over the idea that blind people don't watch television, says Chris Danielson, who, in addition to being blind, is the Director of Public Relations for the National Federation of the Blind, the nation's oldest and largest organization of blind Americans. We do and always have. Matthew and Paul Castle, an interabled couple living in Seattle, can attest to that. Matthew is sighted, while Paul has retinitis pigmentosa, a progressive eye disease that over the years has reduced his vision by more than 90%. On their Matthew and Paul TikTok account, the couple chronicles their life as two guys and a guide dog, sharing everything from pranks to blind life hacks for their 1.5 million followers. In a TikTok video, they share how accessibility tools help them navigate watching TV. One thing they have yet to share online is their odyssey trying to buy a TV set. The pair bought and returned four until they found an OLED model by LG that had contrast and brightness settings and adjustable on-screen fonts, good enough to compensate for Paul's diminished vision. Their new device is a godsend. Quote, I always breathe a sigh of relief when we get to the end of the day, says Paul. We get to just escape and watch something on TV together. Regulating accessibility. That a person like Paul Castle with low or no vision can enjoy television today has been a product decades in the making. In 1990, the Pioneering Americans with Disabilities Act prohibited discrimination on the basis of disability with a suite of laws covering everything from employment to public accommodations. But it wasn't until 2010 
that the 21st Century Communications and Video Accessibility Act mandated that telecommunications companies and video programmers ensure that new digital broadband and mobile innovations adhered to accessibility laws. Among other things, the CVAA required that emergency information be conveyed in a manner accessible to people who are blind or visually impaired, and that TVs and other video devices have a button for activating audio description. And yet, more than a decade after that law's passage, only the largest 90 of the 210 broadcast market areas presently provide audio-described content and emergency notices. And it wasn't until 2012 that the Federal Communications Commission required all local broadcasting services in the U.S. to offer a minimum of four hours of secondary audio programming, SAP, for visually impaired viewers every week. SAP is an auxiliary audio channel that, in addition to having different languages, provides descriptive audio narration of visual information that can be broadcast or transmitted both over the air and by cable television. Furthermore, the requirements do not apply to video streaming applications, meaning platforms like Hulu and Netflix, both of which do provide accessibility tools by choice, are not bound by regulation to adhere to accessibility requirements. In July, Senator Ed Markey, Democrat of Massachusetts, the author of the original CVAA, along with Representative Anna G. Eshoo, Democrat from California, introduced the Communications Video and Technology Accessibility CVTA Act as an effort to update existing accessibility regulations and make them inclusive for technology not conceived of more than a decade ago. Jeff Whistle, W-I-S-S-E-L, Chief Accessibility Officer at Disability In, I-N, a nonprofit resource for disability inclusion, is happy to see accessibility requirements continue to advance. Quote, when all these aspects come together, it enhances the experience for those of us with disabilities to fully participate, he says. Roadblocks remain. One barrier to participation expressed by many in the visual disability community is the lack of default accessibility settings for new devices. Rather, most have accessibility settings that must be opted into, posing a significant challenge to individuals who can't read a manual or navigate through settings on screen. A more frictionless option for the visually impaired would be accessibility settings as a default users could choose to disable. Nearly a decade ago, when Danielson at the National Federation of the Blind found himself unable to independently set up his new television, he had to call for backup. 
Quote, my friend had to come over and help me install it and set it up because I couldn't walk through the screens, he says. Disability Ends Whistle says that even today, TV manufacturers, as well as content creators, need to do better. Quote, there are many companies that have been fully embracing the requirements to ensure their products and services meet the accessibility requirements, he says. Still, no one doubts that members of the visually impaired community are reaping huge benefits from the advancements in television technology and content creation we've seen. Today, most smart TVs, essentially traditional sets that connect the Internet, allow access to multiple streaming video services, such as Amazon Prime, Netflix, and Hulu, which all have accessibility features like closed captioning and audio description. And many new smart TVs have the added benefit of being voice-enabled, allowing for operation and navigation independent of on-screen menus. It is important to note that people with visual impairments are not a monolith, and there is no universal solution for how a television may best work for everyone. Whether their disability stems from genetics, age, or incident, an individual's unique circumstance will define what option is best for them. But there are certain products that do provide an accessibility edge, and there are things to know about how to use the settings in the TV you presently own or a new one you plan to buy to make it work optimally for you. Quote, Fortunately, we're seeing more TVs that have accessibility settings, and some companies seem genuinely interested in moving beyond what is simply required by law, says Jim Wilcox, CR's Senior Electronics Editor. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind, or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club, and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Sound Prints. Have a great week, everybody.